Welcome to Succession Stories, insights for next generation entrepreneurs. I'm Lori Barkman. I've spent my career bringing an entrepreneurial approach to mature companies struggling with change. As an outside executive of a third generation, 120 year old company, I was part of a long-term succession plan. Now I work with entrepreneurs, privately held companies and family businesses to develop innovations that create enterprise value and transition plans to achieve their long-term goals. On this podcast, listen in while I talk with entrepreneurs who are driving innovation and culture change. I speak with owners who successfully transitioned their company and others who experienced disappointment along the way. Guests also include experts in multi-generational businesses and entrepreneurship. If you are a next generation entrepreneur looking for inspiration to grow and thrive or an owner who can't figure out the best way to transition their closely held company, this podcast is for you. What if your company could unlock millions from your data? If you're interested in exploring how artificial intelligence, machine learning, and other frontier technologies can be a catalyst for revenue or profits in your business, here's an invitation. Book an initial call with me to talk about our innovation process. We go from pre-problem statement, discussing challenges and opportunities, to a prototype in just two days. Go to small.big.com slash contact. That's small dotbig.com slash contact today. Be sure to subscribe to get future Succession Stories episodes directly in your preferred podcast player and follow the show on LinkedIn. This episode was special because it was the first time I spoke with the first and second generation together. And it's my first time having a father-son interview on the show. Bill and Chris Yanikos share their personal stories and humility about transitioning to the next generation. Nearly 40 years ago, Bill founded WorkWell, an occupational medical company. Since then, they've embraced new ideas, technologies, and a company rebrand to Rely. But the path to next generation innovation had some ups and downs. One of my favorite parts of this interview is when Bill recounts why he rejected Chris's new ideas. He said it's because it's not how they've always done things. It took some time for him to realize that it was he who needed to make a change and how he was looking at his son and his company. Listen in to hear about how the company embraced new strategies and innovations using predictive analytics and machine learning to drive market differentiation and growth. Good morning. I am really excited about today. I am joined by Bill and Chris Yanikos. This is the first time I've had father-son. This is the first time I've had Gen 1 and Gen 2 together. So this is a bit of first here on Succession Stories. So welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for being with me this morning. Morning. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So for anyone watching on YouTube, you'll get to see father, son. They definitely look alike. (laughs) There's there's definitely some similarities here. And so we'll talk about both of you and your company. So, Bill, why don't we start with you? Can you introduce yourself and tell us about the company's history? Sure, Lori. Actually founded the company 38 years ago. So 1982 was the first year of operation. The company has gone through various iterations over the 38 years. I'd like to say that I started this endeavor with a well-formulated business plan and anticipated what would be necessary and how to implement a startup company 
in the early 80s, and none of that happened. In fact, I had been working at Pittsburgh National Corporation in Human Resources for a number of years, and I wanted to do something on my own. I actually started a wellness center, which was my first endeavor. And that wellness center had a physical therapy unit attached to it. It was essentially a sports medicine type of operation. It was about 30 years ahead of its time. I encountered all the typical difficulties of a startup. And through those early years, it was frankly touch and go as to whether the facility would survive. Where Rely actually came from was out of this wellness center. So I recognized that I could not support this facility with fitness revenue, and I was looking for a means by which I could obtain referrals into this physical therapy center. I had contacted various physicians. I was not getting much participation by the physician community. A number of individuals who I knew had gone into an endeavor back in in those days of what's referred to as private rehab. Private rehab focused on the resolution of chronic maligning workers' compensation patients. So I recognized there was somewhat of a market there. I hired a part-time physician and a nurse And I went out to various insurance companies to see if they would be interested in an evaluation and rehabilitation program for individuals who were post-injury approximately 12 months. So I anticipated in the first year we may get 50 referrals. And in fact, in the first year, we got 750 referrals. So obviously, I had found a market. And in doing so, uh, I began to try to shape a program that was a bit more refined than what I had started with. What Bill hasn't told you is that that all the while, the corporate wellness center was failing catastrophically. Uh, so, So you have this great genesis of a business while this other business is just absolutely imploding. So, you know, Bill kind of always downplays how much stress that must have been, but a tremendous amount of pressure to make that transition and, and pivot in this business while, while really being under so much scrutiny and financial pressure. I mean, it was, really was a challenge. Yeah, I think, Lori, honestly, as with most startups, you know, I had no formal business training. Uh, I have a graduate degree in behavior science. And a lot of the genesis to this wellness center came from the fact that I played football in college. I knew something about athletic injuries, and I knew a bit about rehabilitation and fitness, obviously. And so what I found interesting was how effectively I could convince myself that I knew what I was doing. (laughs) And I... I think with most startups and with most entrepreneurs, they are by nature salespeople. And the discipline of selling oneself into an opportunity is compelling. 
So uh, that took a number of years to unlearn and to realize that the key to making decisions was to consider why it may not work instead of convincing yourself that it would work. That is a beautiful way to sort of phrase that startup time, you know, where you were really relying on your experience, but at the same time, you're acknowledging you really didn't have the experience in the business side, but you had this experience on what it takes maybe on the rehab and wellness, just from some of the things you experienced. Whole lot of unknowns though. You got started and Chris was explaining that there was a a pivot there, which added to the, the stress of being a startup. So today, I guess bringing us up to a little bit of current day, tell us a little bit about the company Rely today. Yes, we are in fact in what's referred to as the occupational medicine space. Occupational medicine is really takes two forms. One is direct medical care of individuals who have received work-related injuries, which are covered by workers' compensation insurance. So this would be the occupational medicine clinic, which we have four of in the greater Pittsburgh area. The broader network uh, managed care approach to occupational medicine, as stated, it's a national 42-state network of providers, medical providers, which would include physicians, physical therapy operations, diagnostic centers, And in that network side of the business, we are actually contracting with insurance companies. We receive a book of business from them, which would be the employers that they insure. And then we are managing the supply chain of medicine, so to speak. So we are scheduling initial examinations. We are scheduling and administrating all of the necessary medical care for an individual to return to work. This was a really interesting pivot for us out of exclusively the clinic locations, right? So when you're talking about owning and operating facilities, you're talking about pretty expensive cost centers, right? Without really any guarantee that the the work is gonna come in the front door. And so uh, in the early 2000s, when I was getting involved in the business, we worked on this idea of taking network providers, you know, we only may use once or twice a year in places that we certainly could not afford to keep a clinic up and running for those two cases, and seeing can we replicate the level of treatment, right, the quality of treatment that we have in our clinic locations through these network providers. In fact, we found that we could. The great news about that is to get 50 or 60,000 providers into your network Uh, does not now mean that you have to build 50,000 clinics. So we were able to expand geographically very quickly. Again, a slight pivot in the organization, but it allowed us to go from just a few states to over 40 states in, in less than five years. That's impressive. So this is probably a good segue, Chris. Why don't we talk a little bit about you? And when you were growing up, you know, your dad had this company, he was growing it, he was probably working a lot of hours. When did you start to get curious about the business and think, oh, maybe I want to join the company? Well, so my first point of curiosity about the business was it was really fun to go to these wellness centers because they, they looked like giant playgrounds. However, you know, my dad was under a lot of pressure at the time. And so the business didn't 
all honesty, didn't look all that appealing. And then as I grew up, I got more involved with it, understood the, the challenges of the business, what was really fun about it. And Bill, why don't you uh, maybe tell about my first job at the business? Yeah, go back a step. I think Chris was in high school. And at that point, the business had maintained some stability. And Chris was actually looking for a summer job. And I asked him if he wanted to come into the company and and work and get familiar with how things function. And he said yes, I think because he didn't know what I was going to have him do. So I gave him literally the lowest of the lowest jobs in the company, in the basement. Physically lowest. I was in the basement. In the basement. <laughs> in the basement, doing filing, uh, trying to collect uh, payments from insurance companies. And my thought was, well, if, he'll, if he will last his summer doing this, then probably he could end up as an integral part of this organization. So That's a good weed out tactic. If yes. you survive a summer in the basement, you are likely to come back. Was Chris, uh, is that, that how you remember it too? That's exactly how I remember it. I will add that in the basement, I did sit under a pipe that periodically mysteriously banged for no reason. So I, I don't know. You know, it, there was so much texture to that summer. <laughs> A lot of texture. That's a good word. <laughs> so somehow you got convinced to come back after college. I did. Yes. Yes. Okay. So yeah. what was that like when you joined the company? You, you're right out of college. So you kind of had this idea you're going to join. What was the mentorship like when you first started? Did somebody take you under their wing? Was his name Bill or was it somebody else? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was a lot of sink and there was a lot of swim. Before that, I actually had a job for a brief period of time in the ski industry, which was primarily sales. And so I was coming in with a selling background, which of course, in any small to medium-sized business is always on the list of things that you have to be doing, right? You always have to be selling. And uh, so I came in and Bill shifted me into doing sales and, you know, better than collections, but a challenging position getting familiar with the new industry, trying to understand how we fit in it, what our value proposition was. And uh, I did get a lot of mentoring uh, from Bill. I also got a lot of experience from having really terrible and embarrassing sales calls where I didn't get it right. And so uh, fortunately, Bill was always there to, you know, tell me to shake it off and, and, you know, let's try another one. In fact, the first major account that I I sold after coming to the business, Bill and I did together, which was fun. You know, it was kind of a a really neat experience of the the two of us doing it together. So the roles that you had, were they in existing departments or were you carving any new territory with some of the roles that you've had? So we did have an existing sales department and that's what I initially went into as I started to move into a little bit more leadership and we started to make these changes in the structure of the business and how we approach the work that we did. That really became a a position outside of those uh, specific departments into an R&D silo that we didn't have before. So that was pretty interesting. That is interesting. And so Bill, when you reflect on Chris coming into the company at that time, and he talks about sink or swim. 
what do you recall? Was he sinking or swimming? A good was he floating at the surface and surviving? Well, uh, he was surviving because fortunately I had afforded him a very good education, and he's a smart guy. And as a result, he brought to the table a lot of ideas and a certain creativity that frankly was really needed. Uh, there was a key pivot, Lori, where I recognized that Chris was going to be uh, a major part of the future. We had actually gone on a sales trip and Chris had for literally two and a half hours in the car tried to convince me that a predictive analytics platform uh, would give us the ability to predict outcomes from a database perspective uh, based on certain categories of injuries. And I just, my initial reaction was one, that's impossible. Two, it'll never work. Where did you get this idea? And actually, over a period of about a year, I recognized that I had to make a change in how I was looking at my son and how I was looking at the company. I had to, and by the way, Lori, this was very difficult. I had to let go of being the boss. And I had to let go of the fact that what we had done for some 15 years may not work five years from now. And that for me was a personal challenge. Fortunately, uh, my son and I get along very well. We, we talked about this extensively and I began to see, hey, there's a, there's a, new way of doing what we do. And I need to let go of the reins here and start to listen. And Chris, I don't know if that was your perception or, or not. You know, I, I think, I think one of the places where um, your leadership and, and disposition was always inspiring is that you would do just that, right? You would be willing to take a step back and realize that, hey, there might be perspectives on this that I'm not seeing and that it was not um, that it was not always, as you pointed out, about how we had always done it. And you know, Bill said we had a really great communication, uh, the ability to, to get along even in the midst of pressure. Uh, when we outgrew the building, that, the second building that the company had been in, uh, the last people to get new offices, right, uh, are the two of us. And so we've outgrown this building. My office has been taken. Bill and I are now sitting together in his office, like old um, detective style desk <laughs> to desk, you know. Uh, and and you know, we had to sit there and work together on the different projects that we had. And and I wouldn't recommend that to everyone, but we did a really great job with it. So much so that we moved into a new building. We put a door in between our offices that just just as access for the two of us so that we can leave it open and yell back and forth to each other. So I, I think one of the things in, in Bill's transition in that leadership was the fact that he was willing to communicate through all of this, even when it was uncomfortable, even when it was a two hour argument in the car. 
uh, of him saying we can't do it and me saying that we can. Um, and so that, uh, that was really a critical part of our development. Do you see it the same way, Bill? Yeah. Um, I think, I think for both of us, there was a, there was a give and take Lori. Uh, I think, uh, what I've seen and, and with other entrepreneurs that I have become friends or associated with over the years, that there is a critical mistake where they, they do not hand the baton to the next generation. Uh, they become stubborn and fixed. <clears throat> and frankly, there, there's a certain amount of pride involved. And I think to effectively have a generational type business, there has to be some humility. There is a point where you have to come together uh, with yourself, so to speak, and say, you know, maybe I don't know everything. And, and I think as a result, uh, Chris was forward thinking. I think he felt comfortable expressing himself and, and, and truthfully, I learned a valuable lesson that, you know, he's a smart guy. And, uh, you know, he's going to think of things that wouldn't even occur to me. Uh, technology was a foreign language to me. And so, yes, I mean, I think the give and take was instrumental in us remaining uh, an effective management team. There's a lot of great insights what you both just shared. For, and I love how we went back and forth on it because it is so interesting to hear both of you talk about it. So one was the opportunity to share a big idea and have that big idea be debated. It mm -hmm. wasn't immediately accepted. And so sometimes it takes a little bit of friction to get to the right answer. So that two and a half hour car ride was a pretty pivotal moment in your history together because that's also... Chris, when Bill saw you differently, he saw you in a different light because you were putting together an idea that could take the company to the next level and really into this next generation leadership. And then Bill, for you, seeing Chris in that light and seeing him in that way, you knew he was talented, you knew he was smart, you knew he could sell, but did you see him as that forward-thinking leader? Probably not till that day. And so that sounds like a pretty important car ride in your history together. I love that story. And I was curious also for the management team, whether, were there any other candidates that could have been considered to ascend to the president role besides Chris? You know, frankly, there was a sort of COO in place at that time, but very much of the old school of, of rely. So I did not see that individual as, as the next step COO. And uh, it, there was a transition over a period of probably a couple of years uh, where Chris's insight and his ideas and talent uh, became so obvious that it was just a logical progression to have him move into that position. So, uh, and if I could put a little bit more texture around the, the old and new here, uh, we went from uh, an organization that was directly uh, providing care, right? This is very hands-on in these clinic locations. And what I had recommended was we take all of this data that we have collected. You know, we, we do some uh, statistical analysis, we do some machine learning, and we figure out the things that drive the best outcomes in these claims. 
based exclusively on the diagnosis code and the information that we have collected. So no hands-on information. And then we use that to provide a transparency to our clients, our providers, our stakeholders, our internal team on how do we do the best job for this patient, right? How do we help this patient recover as effectively as possible? The problem with this was from old to new was that it's all happening somewhere else, right? It's, it's invisibly happening and it's not the same as being engaged in an appointment and a reviewing a note and, and going through that. So I think as we moved into the new, that was a big identity shift for the organization. And you recently went through this identity shift more specifically, I understand, with a name change, because Bill, you mentioned that the old name was, was WorkWell and the new company name is Rely. Has this been in market for what, the la- within the last year? Yes, uh, the rebranding actually was completed uh, June of 2020. Uh, We had been working on the rebranding of of the organization for probably upwards of 18 months. Um, WorkWell was the original name, which was really in the industry um, tied to direct care and in moving into a network perspective and the predictive analytics and and more of a um, database management approach, we realized we needed a new name, so. And we used the opportunity of this this pandemic pause to get us there. So, you know, when the the pandemic hit, there certainly, we we experienced the fear and uh, uncertainty that everyone did. Uh, and certainly nobody was having any fun, but we use that pause to, to set in our, in our culture that we would come out of this a better company than we went into it. And part of that was, well, you know, we didn't, we didn't have some of the other things that we were used to working on regularly, which gave us time to dedicate resources to finishing this rebrand and making sure the collateral was all really good. And, you know, all of, all of those things that um, otherwise might've gotten knocked down your priority list. So we tried to make use of this, this pandemic pause, which we are hopefully on the way out of here and back to regular business. The pandemic pause. Yes. That's good that you paused and didn't stop. There's a, a really great article I'll include in the in the show notes. And I did mention on another episode where I had a great conversation with Sean Amirati. He and I talked about corporate innovation at mature companies. And so that's one of the things I like about your story today is we're talking about succession, but we're also talking about innovation and what does the next generation do differently? So it ties in really well with that. And so this article, I think it was a McKinsey article, talked about the successful companies are going to come out of the recession caused by the pandemic are probably the ones that have, you know, shored up their balance sheet, made sure operations are good, made sure their people are safe, their customers are safe. And that's step one, if you will. That's a very big step one, (laughs) but that's step one. And in parallel, keeping the innovation initiatives going is really the key. So that this pause that you mentioned, you know, Chris, was a pause of, of maybe business as usual with clients because you couldn't physically see them for a while and you couldn't see your employees for a while. But at the same time, though, you didn't give up on this rebrand. You didn't give up on the push to a new market position 
and keeping your new data analytics approach, you know, coming to market the way that you want. So I think that's an awesome thing that you've shared with us. And any learning so far about the rebrand? Are you seeing that the market is adopting your new positioning? What we're seeing is that the, even just the name change itself uh, created the, the opportunity for us to continue to develop our identity. And so one of the things that we've always done as an organization, this goes back to Bill, you know, at the very, very start of what we did is that we focus on the patient recovery process. In fact, we're the only patient recovery process partner out there in the industry. What we have learned is that if you do a better job helping someone get well, that all of the other stakeholders in the process get better outcomes. And so part of this rebrand was uh, continuing to push that part of our culture and part of our identity forward, that we need to be efficient, we need to be effective, but we also need to realize that we're, we're treating patients, right? So that was a, a really uh, key thing for us to push forward in the rebrand and it's something that the market has responded to. That's fantastic. And Bill, from the history and the legacy standpoint, the company's got a different name now. Your name is not literally on the door, but certainly your imprints are, are everywhere. But as you now see the, the company with a new name and there's a new business positioning and new market positioning out there, how does that make you feel? Well, very positive. Again, it's a, everything is a learning process. I'm at the stage now where I'm comfortable turning over responsibility to other people. Uh, I've recognized that I'm going to be as the company is going to be as successful as the talent pool that we have. Um, for entrepreneurs, I think that's difficult uh, because. Um, you in the back of your mind you started this and you still think to some extent that you have all the best ideas uh, at this stage seeing the company evolve with a new identity and frankly a new management team and a new approach to strategic planning i'm now in more of an advisory position uh, i'm looking more big picture uh, I'm consulting with the process itself, but I'm not interrupting the process. I give it guidance. I give it some direction, but it's, it's time for me to step back to some extent and watch this magnificent management team I have, and I mean that honestly, do what they do best. So it's actually very encouraging, Lori really is a great management team. This is the best management we, team we've ever had as an organization. And um, it's also the first time we've had a management team where we really, uh, we really want to build them into leaders. Honestly, if any member of our management team got a job to be, you know, got an offer to be in the C-suite somewhere else, we would probably say, great, take Take the knowledge that you have here and, and try and create a great organization wherever you go. And Bill has been instrumental in driving that. That's fantastic. For both of you, you have such a close relationship. You used to share this office, then you had the door. <laughs> You're very close as father and son and as, as co-workers and, and in the company. I wanted to make it a little personal for you. 
and give you each a turn to tell the other person if there was something that maybe you haven't told them before about how you feel about them, maybe something you admire about them or something you're proud of about them. Chris, do you want to go first? Sure. So, uh, and I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but um, I have never seen someone uh, who has the capacity to work the way Bill did while founding this company, but at the same time uh, to be receptive and humble and, and realize that his ideas weren't always the perfect ideas. And that is so challenging as a person. And I just am so grateful to have had that example set for me of, of hard work and of uh, humility and of caring. And uh, so I have always really appreciated that, Dad. Appreciate that, Chris. Uh, I can tell you very straightforwardly, what I most admire about my son first is his honesty. <laughs> Chris tells the truth no matter what. Secondly, his faithfulness. Uh, Chris has had many, many opportunities to do other things, but he has been loyal and faithful to me personally, to the organization. He has gone through the thick and thin. He's the one I go to for encouragement. When I'm down, he will be there telling me that everything is going to be fine, and he's an uplifting force. I will mention this personal story, which uh, uh, just not many people know, but uh, my son uh, donated 60% of his liver uh, to his mother uh, for a transplant surgery to literally save her life. So uh, the accolades I could pour on my son, I think I could take days doing but at the top of the list, his honesty and, and as well, his, his faithfulness and his loyalty to me. Never forget it. Thanks, those, are, those are beautiful sentiments. Thank you for sharing those. Is there anything else that either of you would like to share that I didn't ask you about today? So uh, one thing that I, I wanted to talk about a little bit is... Um, you know, we, we've taken this progressive approach in technology and starting uh, in the process, we knew that it would have to continue to develop, right? You, you couldn't kind of reach a point and say, this, this is it. We don't have to do anything else. Um, and so we just uh, recently found out that uh, Medicare has made some changes to create some safe harbors in workers' compensation that allow for performance-based reimbursement. So for the last 30 years, you haven't been able to pay a provider who does a better job more. And uh, one of the reasons is there wasn't a good way to measure it. And so our predictive analytics and the transparency that we provide uh, does provide a way to measure it, a very unique uh, an accurate way to measure it. And CMS just changed those regulations. It actually changes in six days. So we are moving uh, for, uh, as one of the first companies, if not the first company in 30 years into value-based or performance-based reimbursement for providers to try and align their behavior 
with what we know produces the best clinical outcomes. And this is really, really exciting because nobody's gotten to do it. So we, we set that development as a priority and we, we, haven't, uh, we haven't stopped doing that. And I hope, uh, I hope that uh, someday someone will walk in and come up with an idea that can push us even further. So we're really excited about that. That's super cool. And just to put a timestamp on this in case people listen to it, that they haven't been released, but they are in the market. This is January, 2021. So depending on when folks listen to the show, the CMS rules may have been out for a while, a couple, you know, let's say a month or, or at least more. That's super cool. I, I think you, you mentioned strategic planning, Bill, earlier. One of the things in strategic planning is to consider external threats and, and obstacles and not to shine the negative light on CMS as an obstacle, but certainly can with regulations, it certainly can hamper what you're trying to accomplish. So the fact that what did you say? In 30 years, it hasn't changed. Here we are, and they're making some changes that you've been well positioned for. So another kudos to your forethought for both of you and the company and management team to put your company in a place to benefit from that shift in the, in the regulatory environment. That's pretty cool. Bill, anything that you want to add? Actually, uh, uh, just, just a, a point of, of being very excited about where we are uh, again, uh, innovation, which you mentioned early on, uh, Lori, um, I like the fact that Chris and our management team are, are on the front edge of innovation when it comes to the workers' compensation industry. The predictive analytics and the building blocks up to this point allow us now to take advantage of this regulatory change. So, again, I think it's a, I'm frankly very proud of the fact that I had forward thinking people and that instead of being crippled by regulation, we're able to take advantage of it. So um, all good things looking forward. That's fantastic. And it produces results. That's the other great thing. It's not like we did all this activity to not be able to demonstrate improvement. We've we've gone through all these growth iterations and brand iterations and pivots to show that the system that we use produces dramatically better. You know, we're talking about 50 or 60 percent better results compared to unmanaged uh, claims. So. It's, it's fun that, that the ideas that we had turned into real results for the stakeholders. Yeah, fantastic. That's fantastic. So the very last question for you both is if you have a favorite quote or something that you like to talk about all the time regarding leadership or entrepreneurship. Chris, why don't you go first? So I, I have an uh, Eisenhower quote that I like, which is that uh, plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. Um, and that is, that is so true. You know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, which I think someone used already. <laughs> they did. That's a Mike Tyson uh, quote. <laughs> that's a Mike Tyson quote. However, uh, you know, plans are useless. The planning is indispensable, right? You, you've, you've got to do that process. You've got to do that work. Or you can't get to a place where you can pivot because you just don't understand. So that's mine. That's a very important quote. I like that a lot. Bill, how about for you? Uh, yeah, something that, that I, I literally rely on on a regular basis. And it is uh, that you will know when you are a mature manager, when the needs of your people are more important than your own. 
Great quote. Great your people first, and then if your people are taken care of, you will always be taken care of. That seems to really wrap up the culture that you've created at your company, Bill. I, I'm not surprised that that's the quote that you shared. It was wonderful to talk with you both today. If companies or individuals want to find you, what's a great way to find you both and find Rely? LinkedIn is a great way to connect with us to find out more about what we have going on. You can even reach out to us directly there, uh, or you could reach out to sales at relypartner.com. Awesome. Thank you both so, so much for coming on this episode. It was really special to have both of you together. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Innovation, transition, growth, easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to learn more. I'd love to connect with you. Subscribe to Succession Stories. And if you enjoy the show, please share a rating and review. Thanks for listening.